you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Mark Locklear. Mark, do you want to say hello? Hey, folks. Uh, hello from uh, beautiful but rainy Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, nice. My wife was just out in Charlotte last okay. week. So, yeah. And and also as a former uh, resident of Lehigh, Utah, I, I, I sort of feel like we're kindred uh, spirits. There we go. We're practically family, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, we had you on Ruby Rogues to talk about Learning Rails 5, which is the title of a book that you wrote. Mm-hmm. And just talking about Learning Rails in general. That was episode 316, if people want to go look it up. Uh, it released almost a year ago, June 27th of last year. So anyway, um, this is kind of my opportunity to just get to know some of our past guests and hosts a little bit better and kind of paint a picture for people as far as where you come from and what you've uh, what you've done. So let's dive in and let's talk about you. And let's start at the very beginning. How did you get into programming? Yeah. So th- I think my path is probably a little different than a lot of other folks. I was, so I'm 45 now. I'll be 46, I think, in September. And so I've only been programming for about 10 years. So I'm one of those guys that I went into IT in the late 90s, early 2000s, right around the, the tech boom. I can say I, as a, uh, a land, uh, what we, we call ourselves land administrators back then, I went through Y2K. And um, so we did some systems administration, land administration. Uh, uh, actually, I mentioned being a, a Utah resident earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. Was recruited by Novell right around oh, that yeah. time to to, yeah, to be <laughs> a uh, to be a software tester with ZenWorks. So I did quality assurance work, and uh, so I did that for four years there. Left there, my wife decided she wanted to go to a graduate school, so we had the opportunity to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, so I did software testing and QA work there for for another four to five years. But my wife finished up graduate school. We moved back to Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville was sort of a smaller market from an IT standpoint and you know what there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do quality assurance work usually uh-huh. QA teams and those things are with larger companies a lot of what's going on here IT wise you're either a consultant or maybe you work remotely but that's about it there's a community college in town there's a university so there's some some work with you know local state government but outside of that there wasn't any larger companies to do quality assurance work with and I was sort of ready for a change too so I sort of made my mind up that you know, my wife, again, had just got a tenure track job at a local university here. So I said, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go back to school full time and be a full time student. I didn't want to get another dig, another 
degree. I already had that, but I said, I'm going to go to the local community college and just take every pro programming class that they have. So I did that for about a year, took uh, Java, a couple of PHP classes, some C++, and um, then had the opportunity to go uh, do some contract work for Red Hat in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. And um, so my wife stayed here. I was, Raleigh's about a four-hour drive away, so I was there during the week, and then I would come home on the weekends. And um, just so happened, the, the QA work, so that was a, a quality assurance job too, but it was all automated work. Uh, we were using a program, some may know it, HTML unit as basically a headless browser, but we were testing Rails apps. And mm. um, of course, all of this was written in Ruby too. So this was my first exposure. I hadn't been exposed to Ruby at that time, didn't, didn't, had, had never heard of a, a Rails app. This was, would have been in 2010. We were on, we were probably on, on Rails 2.2, maybe 2.3 during that time. So I said, well, let me check out this Rails thing. So during the day I did, I spent most of my time in just straight Ruby and HTML unit. And at night there was a Barnes and Nobles right around the corner from the condo I was staying in. So I found a Rails <laughs> book there and I just brought my laptop into Barnes and Noble and just worked through, uh, I actually used the, uh, the head first books, uh, head first Rails. Oh, okay. It was actually a great book. I mean, it was, you know, it was simple enough that I could sort of follow the, concepts and so that was my first exposure to rails i continued to do quality assurance there for maybe another three three months again that was i was i was just on a uh, i was just doing con contract with their work there moved back to Asheville, got a job with the local community college here just as sort of an it guy but had a chance to do some web development work there and so that was right. sort of where that's sort of how i got into ruby sort of wrote my first production rails apps at uh, at the community college that I was at, and then um, I'm currently working at extension.org. I've been here for about four four years, and we've got a handful of uh, we've got a handful of Rails applications that serve the Cooperative Extension Service in the USDA. Nice. I don't know what the Cooperative Extension Service is. You know, a lot of people don't. Most people have heard of 4H. So if you've heard mm -hmm. of your local. 4-H branch, you know, 4-H is a part of the Cooperative Extension Service. Um, every, usually, just about every county in every, yeah, every county in every state has a Cooperative Extension branch. We generally serve agriculture and the USDA folks, but again, 4-H is an example of that, which of course serves youth and has youth and community yeah. pro programs. And it's actually, Cooperative Extension Service is actually fairly vast in there in all the things that they touch so it's fairly broad but we're a uh, group i'm with is uh by its nature cooperative extension is very local to the individual counties but so i work at the national level the group mm -hmm. it's a small group we sort of uh we bill ourselves as the, the national presence for the cooperative extension service oh uh, gotcha and uh, what do you do there? Are you a full-time developer or are you kind of into other things? I, I'm, I'm really sort of into other things. And I was hired as a web developer and that's still my title there. And I, I do touch code some still, but uh, we're sort of in maintenance mode. We've been these, the, the, the apps that we primarily work on and folks can check those out. I, I would encourage you to check out ask.extension.org. And this is an application that's available to the general public you can ask anything so that's the whole sort of premise of this now it's mostly horticulture and uh, those type of questions mm -hmm. so if you see a tree that you think is cool or a flower or if you've got some weird spot on your tomato plants or something like that it's a um, it's a mobile ready app so you can browse you know you can open safari on on, on your iphone or chrome and browse there you can snap a picture and you can submit you can submit that and then the back end of that application essentially has a routing program that will route your question to a cooperative extension professional in the 
system and then they'll usually get back to you within 48 hours with an answer or at least try and give you as much information as they can on your question so i'm, I'm primarily do, doing that again we've got we've got a handful of rails apps there uh, we've also got a webinar benefit that we work on so i actually do a lot of coordinating with those which i, I tell people is a lot of email and calendar wrangling to get folks lined up and make sure they know they know how, how to use zoom and in those kinds of things so that's what i've been primarily doing at my day job now i've got a few side projects going that i i have fun with and we, we can probably talk talk more about those later cool yeah i do a lot of calendar wrangling <laughs> it's very much i was gonna say yeah you probably yeah yeah although you're lucky enough to work most you would although i'm sure you have problems most folks are tech savvy that yes. you work with so you think they know how to follow calendar invites and do those, those kinds of things so that's one of the biggest challenges i have is working with folks that are not uh, necessarily from a technical standpoint are not on the level of of what uh folks who write code are yeah yeah that makes sense yeah we we tend to get yeah, I, I generally don't have to do too much like tech support, mm. but yeah, we do get people that, you know, time zones get messed up mm -hmm. or yeah. things like that, or something will get scheduled on top of us. And then we have to, like last week, we had an episode scheduled for JavaScript Jabber with Johannes from Prisma, Prisma.io, uh -huh. if you've been playing with GraphQL at all. Okay. Yeah. And we were scheduled first, but uh, the press release for them raising a round of uh, public funding mm. at the last minute. Hey, sorry about this, but, you know, and so, yeah, we're, we're recording that today, you know, so just stuff like that. But yeah, as far as the tech stuff goes, yeah, we generally don't have to do too much support that way. Yeah. So what was it about Ruby and Rails that got you to move from QA, which I did a bit of that and it's, it, it can be a comfortable place to land. What made you move from that to, full-time development yeah so yeah you're right i mean it was great so i my undergrad was in and I, I guess this is a good testament for folks especially new developers or people who don't have development background uh, my undergrad is in physical education and biology i was going to teach school i grew up in a family of uh school teachers and educators so i was going to teach school and um sort of computers was a hobby in the late 90s for me by the time i i graduated did my student teaching was going to teach school and you know, find out I can make a lot more money doing computer stuff than I could. Uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, I think I looked deeper into this computer thing. I had an opportunity to go work at a local government and uh, do some Novell. In fact, uh, I mentioned working uh -huh. for Novell. We had Novell Netware at the time, and they needed a Netware administrator. And I, I didn't know much about it, but I knew enough to sort of figure it out. Went back and got a master's. I, at that time, I decided IT was the field I wanted to work in. And I said, well, rather than go back and get another an undergrad in computer science or something like, like that, um, I said, I, I got a master's in uh, information science, which is sort of a watered-down computer science degree. And that led me, um, again, this was during the early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, during, during the tech boom. So all these companies were re recruiting folks. I had my yeah. got my Novell certification at the time, if you remember the CNA and the CNE craze yeah. during that time. Uh, and so I was recruited by Novell to go work for, for, for them. I was using, uh, I was working for UNC Chapel Hill at the time and uh, they were a big Novell and Zenworks shop. And so Zenworks was the team that I worked on, which uh, some folks may have heard of, but that, that allowed you to configure sort of like group policies, what group policies on Windows mm -hmm. is 
now, but essentially Novell had a, a version of that. And um, so I worked on that Zenworks team for about f- four years. But, you know, again, I'd, uh, I'd done QA for about eight years. I'm just sort of burned out on it, wanted more of a challenge, just wanted something more. And so, again, when my wife finished graduate school, started her new job, I said, well, now, you know, if I'm going to do something like that, now's the time to do it. And so, again, I, you know, I tell folks I was thir- I was in my late 30s at the time, so 37, 38, and basically, you know, in a community in community college classes with kids who were 17, 18, 19. So, uh, now, the great thing about the community college system is you have folks of all stripes. So there, there were yeah. older folks there too. But I, I tell people you're never too old to, to learn. And if you're passionate about something and you want to do it, some of the best advice someone gave me was I was talking to this person about uh, thinking about going back to school. And she basically said, get over yourself. And so sometimes you need to get over yourself and your own stuff. Yeah. Like usually you've got a bigger problem with it than other folks did do so um so yeah when we went back to school and and so what led me to ruby what i'm leading up to there is um again i uh i took a java class i think i did java c plus and then php this the particularly the particular community college i was going to php is where they spent most of their time for the web mm-hmm. development classes and i remember at the time thinking man if this is what pro programming is i don't think like it's tough for me to see how i'm supposed to make this work and i'm like supposed to write real apps uh, and in fact just like you know i do a lot of mentoring and one of the things as mentors we tell new students is find you know get an idea for an application and try and build that and i remember i had an opportunity my sister has a small business and she had a small app she wanted to build and i I remember taking like an honest stab at it and trying to write this app for her in PHP. And I just got to a certain point. It's like, man, I, just, I, don't know, I don't know how I'm going to manage all these files and make all this logic work. And, right. um, and you know, it, in the meantime, I'd mentioned uh, I started doing contract work for, uh, for Red Hat. I got exposed mm-hmm. to Rails. And then about six months after that point, you know, sort of having that moment with PHP where, okay, like, no, there's no way this is going to work. I learned enough Rails. It's okay, let me try and build this thing in Rails. And like I got, I, you know, I was able to build the entire like a working app for her. And it was sort of the first real production app that I that I uh, built. And, and it just all made sense in Rails to, to me. Uh, of course, Ruby, the language by itself is very intuitive, very friendly. Syntax is sort of easy to wrap your brain around but even beyond that two rails just just made made sense so i tell students you know that the community college i mentioned i met I, that i went to i'm now an instructor there and so i try and mentor students on rails every chance that i get but i tell students you know you need to expose yourself this is just not just not a rails thing but a, a framework thing in general if you sort of like php you know expose yourself to laravel if you like javascript you know expose yourself to uh, react and angular because you never know. I mean, folks yeah. are, di- you know, folks are different and different things are going to appeal to, to them. So you really need to sort of expose yourself to as many frameworks as you can, because uh, at some point one, I think if you, if you do expose yourself to different frameworks like that, well, the light is going to go off at some point. You're going to be like, okay, this, this makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I mean, you talk through a lot of different things that I identify with in different ways. I mean, Man, when I was in college, uh, I went to BYU. If you lived in your Utah County, you know yeah. BYU. Oh, yeah. So you know it's a university here in Provo, and um, yeah, we you know I did a lot of netware. <laughs> so were you a computer like science? Were you a computer science major? I started out as an electrical engineering major, and then I switched to computer engineering. Okay. But by then, I had gotten a job working in IT at the university, and paying my way through. Um, I actually paid for most of school just working in the IT department at the school. Yep. Okay. Um, but 
Yeah. And what what language did you all pri- primarily? Was there a single language that the CS per program sort of focused on? We started out in Java and then we moved into C plus plus. Okay. Yeah. But for my engineering, um, like my engineering classes, we did some assembly and some C and a bit of DLSI, which is very something something. Anyway, you design integrated circuits with it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Um, so yeah. So that was that was all interesting. And I also remember my mom. My mom teaches math at the local high school, and so she went back and got her master's degree after my sister started high school. And people are thinking you're talking about it like it wasn't that long ago. My youngest sister's 22, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. But um, yeah, she made a whole bunch of friends with you know younger students who were getting their master's degree in math at the university. So yeah, you know, I, I think people kind of get this idea that, you know, you have to make this kind of permanent decision at 18, as far as which direction you're going to go. And then if you come out of school with a philosophy degree and you realize that nobody's hiring philosophy majors or that there aren't many people hiring philosophy majors, then you've blown it. And which is not is not the case at all. It now it's great. Well, and listen, is I mean, you you can read if you know you can read dozens of articles out there on on you know companies are very much IT departments and companies mm-hmm. are very much looking for people with English backgrounds, philosophy backgrounds because yeah. they problem solve differently. You know, if you go mm-hmm. to school as an engineer, regardless of what the field, whether it's mechanical, electrical, computer science, you know, you're sort of taught to think about problems a certain way. And I mean, we need those. It's not to say that's a bad way to think about it. However, someone with a humanities background is going to have a very different perspective and approach and is going to be able to bring a lot of value to a team. So, Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is, is I think uh, I I can't remember where I heard the statistic and I would like to cite it because then I can you know, say, hey, you know, their their numbers, not mine. But I heard somewhere that like 24 percent of and it might it might be different now because I think these are older statistics that I got out of a book I read. But 24 percent of people who have a college degree are working in a field that's not the one they majored in. Yeah. Or 24 percent of people who are are working in a field they they didn't major in. So 75 plus percent mm-hmm. of the workforce is working in a field they didn't major in. When I was at BYU, one of the programming teams, half the team had law degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, and I, I think, listen, I think that's a that's a, a good thing, not just for yeah. students, but for us as sort of maybe quote unquote seasoned or at least well peppered uh, professionals who, because it's nice, fun to see new people come on your team who don't yeah. sort of have the same old background, have that typical engineering or computer science background. To me, it's fun to see somebody who has yeah. a, a background other than that. Yeah, I just I just don't want people to count themselves out if they're tens of thousands or in the case of like a law degree, hundreds of thousands of dollars into an education that they don't think they're going to use. Yeah, join us. Yeah, I think and I think education is going to be interesting to see where we go over the next 20 years or so, because more and more, you know, we've went through the boot camp phase. Now, I feel like the boot camp phase has sort of ran its course. We've seen a lot of those close now. And so there's a lot of online learning. And so it's going to be interesting, at least in the technology field. And I think obviously, you know, law degrees and teachers and those there, there's there's so much there's so much regulation and certification and things around those that those weren't going to necessarily change. But certainly for the tech field, um, a degree is becoming, you know, 
I don't want to say less and less valuable, valuable because I think it's going to still have value. But from mm-hmm. a requirement standpoint, it's certainly not a uh, requirement. And, and you can make a lot of money, although it's not all about making money, but you can make a good salary without having a degree if, if you sort of show yourself as having um, you know, a, a certain set of skills. So it's going to be interesting to see where we go over the next 10 to 20 years with formal standard education. And you're, you're old enough to remember too, when, you know, education at least seems somewhat affordable. When I look at some of the prices now, it's like, oh, I, yeah, holy cow. Yeah. I, I don't know if, you know, with our field being what it is, and if you have the skills, then you don't have to have a degree. It's, it's sort of a hard sale to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go and come out with 10, 20, you know, $50,000 in debt uh, when you don't necessarily need to, or, you know, yeah. why? So, yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the things, you know, if we're, if we're talking about boot camps and the, like the Khan academies and places where you can go and just learn on your own online. Yeah. Um, I think that's democratized some of that mm-hmm. and made yep. it so that, you know, people go in and it's like, you know what, I'm going to go get my education off lynda.com mm-hmm. or plural site or whatever. And uh, yeah, then they, they get to that place and they realize, you know what, um, I can learn this stuff. And I think I've demonstrated enough that I have learned this stuff to the point where I can go to an employer and say, look, I'm hireable. Yep. Anyway, we've gone off way off on this tangent, but it's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately as well. So sure. I, I love digging into this. I would like to come back around to your Ruby experience. So you got into Ruby around 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like things have changed since then? Gosh, it's a really good question. You know, I've always we've had this. I think we talked a little about this when we when we uh, talked last time. I I I don't see you know when you talk about Ruby and and then an extension of that Rails too. I, I don't see them as having changed that much. Stuff has been added to them, but if you were a, I mean, I tell people or if you if you were a Ruby or and or a Ruby and Rails developer in 2010, and you were magically forwarded in time to, to current day 2018. Like all of the stuff would still work. You'd still be able mm-hmm. to Rails new and Rails G scaffold. Now there'd be all these this this additional these additional right. things there. But I don't think it's uh, I don't think that part of it has changed. The uh, sort of practical boots on the ground part has changed that much. You know I think it's um, you know I, I wrote that in 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 the learning in the foreword for learning Rails five. I feel like. You know, Rails has changed, and even maybe Ruby to some extent is a pure programming language in that it has, you know, full-on street cred now. Like it's part mm-hmm. of the web development gang, and it's right up there. You know, it's 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 if not at the top, if not at the top of the web development heap, is certainly with with that group. And now I still say as as a framework, Rails as a framework is still the gold standard for for web development frameworks. When you look at how it handles routes, migration files, integration with Git, testing, all those things, any new framework that you see, any of the newer frameworks that are coming along now follow all those things that that Rails, you know, is doing 10, that Rails started 10 or 15 years ago. That being said, I think the prevalence of JavaScript, Node, and and all, and that that ecosystem has uh, cut into Rails some, and I think new you know, when new new developers are when new developers are joining the ranks, Ruby and Rails is not the first thing they think of. I mean, there was sort of a five year period where it was sort of the hotness and it was the sort of new thing. And that's sort of gone by the wayside now. Now again, plenty of Rails apps out there. So even if like new Rails development stopped right now, there'd be another twenty years of, of Rails work. And then 
then there's a there's a cadre of developers who know the framework well, and so you know those folks are senior developers now. And when they're brought into when they're brought in to create a, an application from scratch, you know they're going to use Rails to do it. And so you know that the the framework's not going anywhere anytime soon. But so I think the question going forward maybe is you know how are we going to handle JavaScript and that sort of uh, that sort of asynchronous environment. You know, Rails is taking a stab with that with uh, Action Cable, although I, I, it doesn't seem to have taken hold. So I wonder if now that's I, I may get beat up for say, saying that. But I you know, <laughs> when when I wrote Learning Rails Five, I, I purposely didn't include. I was going to include a chapter or at least a section on Action Cable, but I, I chose not to because I said it was so new at the time, and that this was a year ago that just it was just a part of Rails Five. That I said I'm going to wait and see because I you know. Um, DHH had a, his chat tutorial out, and there were a few others out. That's my sort of um, that's my sort of litmus test for like how popular a new feature mm-hmm. or a new component to a framework is. Is or tutorials being written about it, or people talking uh, right. about it. And in fact, I just in the last couple of weeks, I went out Googled it some, and I just didn't see a whole lot out for as far as action cable goes. So it'll be interesting. I say that to say, and I'm seeing a lot, uh, Heroku just, and maybe we could add this to the notes. I'll, I'll, if you remind me, I'll send it to you. But Heroku, just as a part of their newsletter, had a great dev article on Rails. API only is the back end. I think they were using Phoenix maybe as the front end. Mm-hmm. And then they had one other framework in, in there. But it sort of wrapped up the whole it sort of wrapped up the whole ecosystem of a, of a modern web mm-hmm. application and, you know, with Rails a- API being the, the back end and then using, a, you know, a JavaScript, a pure JavaScript fr- framework for the front end. So it'll be interesting to see. I, 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 you know, I was just at a coffee shop about a week ago and I noticed the guy next to me, he was on a call. So I sort of figured out he was a remote developer. So we started chatting when he got, when he got off his call and he was sort of in the same uh, sounded like he was sort of following that same model of using yeah. Rails API for the back end. And then his fr- front end guys, he wasn't doing a whole lot of it, but he worked with a fr- front end team who w- was w- was using the JavaScript framework for those yeah. kinds of things. So, you know, with regard to the sort of full stack development that Rails offers, I think that may change at least for larger enterprise apps. So I, I, though I think for the small and medium sized apps, I mean, Rails, I'll put Rails up against any other framework. Every every day of the week and twice on Sunday with how quickly, <laughs> how quickly you can ramp up and write that full stack, you know, front end as well as back end. You know, I think Rails beats the the, the pants off all, all other frameworks. You know, if you're talking small, medium sized apps, only when you get into that really large enterprise level do you begin to even make a case for saying, okay, maybe we need to break this out and have maybe some other framework for the front end. Yeah, but we're even seeing now, and I agree with everything you're saying, you know, you, you get some statically rendered pages that you just don't need the front end to really manage. And so maybe you build that stuff in Rails and then the rest of it, you know, if, if you have a single page app or, you know, you certain widgets in the page, then you pull in something like React or something. But even then, I mean, you can get a, a halfway solution with something like Stimulus. And so, yeah, it's it's just a really interesting place that we're going to with a lot of this stuff. And there are so many capabilities that are out there that, yeah, I I agree with you. The other thing is, is that um, I've been working on building a podcasting platform for podcasters to use to manage sponsorships and content and things like that. And I started it in Rails and I think I spent two weeks, about half time, about 20 hours a week, just putting it together 
And I had something workable at the end of the two weeks. And I think that's really kind of the, the, the powerful thing about it. And, you know, some of my JavaScript friends are like, well, why didn't you put a front end framework on it to manage all that stuff? And I'm like, cause I could spin it out in rails really freaking fast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to figure out how all of this stuff works and fight my NPM packages and everything else. I could just make it work. Yeah. And that was, you know, that, that was one of the selling points early on for rails. You get know, the yeah. term rapid prototyping was you, you don't hear about that much anymore, but that, that was one of the, one of the selling points of rails that, Hey, even if you don't use this framework to build your app from a rapid prototyping standpoint, we can quickly hack something out. And then maybe mm-hmm. you'll want to change, you know, if you're talking about a large team with a large amount of resources, you know, you may choose an entirely different framework or platform down the road. But again, that ability to quickly be able to create an application that you can show to stakeholders and also to maybe beta users to gauge interests. And and the other point I think, you know, on with what you were saying is Rails is flexible enough that if you decide to add a front end framework to it later on, you know, you can use the basis for sort of what you you build and Mm -hmm. it's very easy down the road to you know incorporate a front end framework into it so yeah absolutely so what have you done with rails or ruby that you're particularly proud of yeah well learning rails 5 would be probably the most sort of public facing thing that i've i've worked on um and that was you know i had the opportunity to um i was actually using so i was teaching uh, i mentioned that i teach it at the, the local community college here. So I was teaching uh, a Rails class. They actually have, uh, it's actually a uh, MySQL2 is the title of the class. The the state, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of community colleges, the state dictates what you can teach. And of course, they've got Java and PHP as part of that curriculum, but Ruby and right. Rails was certainly not a part of it, but there was an advanced database class. Again, they called it MySQL2. And the idea was that it was a, a full, sort of a full, full stack. The mm-hmm. idea is you're going to write an application and uh, you're going to do the front end part as well as the back end, which you would use MySQL2, which, which you would use MySQL for. And I was like, well, we can use MySQL with Rails. So let's just, you know, I'm, I'm going to teach Rails and we'll teach MySQL2, but we'll do it sort of in the context of Rails. So um, I was using learning Rails 3 at the time. And, and uh, so that's what prompted me to uh, contact O'Reilly and say, hey, you know, at that point I had taught, I think, two sections of, of, of that class. So I knew learning Rails 3 very well, and I knew it'd be fairly straightforward. And that was sort of part of the pitch that I gave to O'Reilly too, is, um, I, you know, I did rewrite entirely, rewrite the authentication chapter. But other than that, I've mostly left that content in, in place. And the idea was just to update the syntax and some of the generators and things like like that. So they were compatible with, with Rails 5. So probably my sort of biggest, uh, you know, at least public facing contribution to Rails would be learning Rails, writing alert learning rails five um the other part is just from a, a mentoring standpoint i'm big on personal relationships i'm big on making personal connections with people and it's sort of like mm-hmm. us saying you know you mentioned your wife was going to charlotte for a conference and hey you know i i lived in utah for a while i'm big on that kind of interaction with folks so i uh, mentor at the community college level i usually find i try and pick you know a handful of students who are really motivated you know some folks uh, again if they're into php or job or some other language, I certainly help those out. But for those, especially who might be frustrated, I'll get students who say, you know, this is just not clicking for me. I usually take those aside and say, hey, let me let me show you rails and let me just let you dip your toe in the, the mm-hmm. water. If this is something you, you like more, we can we can exploit yeah. more. And some will go on to do other things in other languages. But I've had a handful of folks who really, and I like, I've got one student who 
this guy was, uh, you know, speaking of people with non-traditional backgrounds, he took my rails class. And he was my age. He was probably in his early 40s, had done manual labor jobs all of his life and decided, you know, I can't do this for another 20 years until I re- retire. So he always liked to con- always liked computers so he was in the web web development program at the community college and so i worked with him one-on-one even after he graduated and we spent about a year just working on some smaller projects that he was doing he finally got a sort of a side gig maybe 10 to 20 hours a week and then got a full full full-time job and actually just switched he's always sort of second real real job now and um you know it's satisfying to me that's the satisfying part of what I do, you know, the development work is great and sort of solving tough problems with code is great. Mm-hmm. But but the the most the more satisfying part is when you're able to help someone. And, you know, this guy, he did again. I mentioned he did manual labor. He, he installed windows in houses. And like this past winter, I was chatting with him and he was saying, you know, how nice it was to be sitting in an office at a computer and it was warm and it was about 30 degrees outside. And he said, man, if I was still doing that job, I'd be outside in 30 degrees weather right now installing windows so to mm-hmm. me that that's the the satisfying part of what i do awesome so what are you working on now do you have any site projects or a new version i do I, I tell folks to check out uh, remotegig.io and um i've you know as part of the mentoring that, that i'm doing i'm always helping folks find jobs or just letting them know what's out there and so you know re- Remote work is something I'm passionate about, too. I've been working remotely for about four mm-hmm. years now, and more and more, we're seeing more and more jobs come online. And these are remote jobs, with, and these just aren't, you know, even though the name of the website I chose was Remote Gig. I mean, it's more than a gig. These are full-time jobs. So what I've tried to do is compile a list of jobs there. That These are all sort of good. These are full-time, regular full-time jobs, uh, medical benefits, retirement, pay, paid leave. Right. Those, those kinds of things. And I'm essentially either scraping or grabbing RSS or JSON feeds from, I'm up to maybe a little more than a half dozen, maybe seven or eight different job sites. Now I'm pulling some, the, the, the majority of those I'm pulling from Stack Overflow and I'm mm-hmm. filtering based on the remote status. But uh, companies like Zapier, Red Hat, that are, um, and then I've also sort of got a badging system that I've been having fun with where I'm doing things like, you know, paid, maternity and paternity leave uh, remote first companies too because as if you're if you're someone who's interested in working remotely you know there it's a it's a very different thing to work for a company who is they're uh they're a regular company with a sort of physical location and oh by the way we have some remote employees that's very different than saying okay we're remote first company all of our employees are remote and and so that's what i wanted to focus on is good quality jobs for folks who uh, want to work in a in a remote environment? I can talk about that for hours too, but we're already <laughs> already sure into the time we scheduled. And but you you've never have you ever you've you've never worked have you ever worked full time? I know you're a consultant. So you, you've been doing your own thing for for a long time. When's the when's the last time you actually sort of worked like as a regular full time employee for a company? That was almost eight years ago. Yeah. So okay. Well, that that's. Uh, that's not not as long as I, I thought. I, I thought it may have been longer than that. But yeah, I'm sort of hooked. I had somebody approach me about a job not too long ago, and I say I'm sort of hooked on remote work at this point. I love the interaction mm-hmm. that we're having now for folks. If you're just listening to us on, on the podcast, we're using Zoom, and so we've got the ability yeah. to see one another face to face. But I'm big on that too. That's I've been doing. I, I'd like to, you know, speaking of 
remotegig.io. I'd like to, uh, I'm going to approach some of these companies, especially the remote first ones, and I'd like to interview some of the hire, some of the not hiring managers, but some of the engineering managers and those folks, mm-hmm. and just talk about remote work and how they sort of build a team environment, how they build a cohesive team and some of the things they, they try to do to, to sort of build that into, you know, a remote team and build in those things that you don't get by not being in the same physical location. Yeah, I should introduce you to, I was just introduced to, I think his name's Job, mm-hmm. and he he runs the development side of GitLab. Oh, okay, cool. And he's, I love, yeah, I may, he's got a I podcast may. that he's doing okay. about remote work. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I'd like to add that. I've also got a mail list. If you go to remotegig.io, you can check out the jobs there. I've got a Twitter feed you can follow. I think that's my remote gig. I've got an email list there. I'm not sending out newsletters yet, but I'm sort of trying to build a, a list up too. So if you're interested mm-hmm. and you'd like to sign up, click on the, the mail icon in the upper right, right-hand corner, sign up for the uh, for the newsletter. Sounds good. All right. Well, I'm going to push this over to Pix. Do you have okay. some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts comic books, etc. then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Uh, let's see. My picks are, let's see, I will I will pick a, a, a beer. I think it was at Avi, the, the, you used yeah. to do beer, beer picks a lot, so I'll do a beer pick. I'm, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, as I mentioned. Great beer town. So I'll do a plug for Wicked Weed Brewing. Uh, they've got a national. I think they're distributing nationally now. So um, either go to your local grocery store or maybe your uh, local beer or wine store might be a, a better shot for them. But they do a lot of sours and a, a lot of interesting if you're, if you're craft curious then they're a good beer beer to start with that and then the other one will be a book it will be the okay it is the perfectionist how precision engineers created the modern world so mm-hmm. i do as a hobby one of my many hobbies i i do metal work so lathe and mill mill work and uh just you know uh, the ability to modify and change and build metal parts and things, uh, but anyway, this this book, the perfection, it sort of talks about the history of precision, and sort of works its way through steam engines during the mid 1800s, through uh, gun making. Of course, is a big part of metal work and its history. And then I'm I'm only about halfway through, maybe maybe even just a quarter, a third of the way through. But he also questions whether we're getting too perfect and like what are we losing by things being as perfect and having the amount of precision that we do. He sort of questions whether uh whether we've gone too far with it and, and maybe ask the questions, what are we losing because we're we've perfected metal work. Oh interesting. Yeah. That'd be yeah. That that sounds like an interesting idea. Yeah, and especially um, if you come from a, a mechanical background, if you've done any 
machine work, even engine work or anything like like that. If you've ever used a dial caliper on metal, anything like, like that, I would encourage you to read it because it's, it's just been great. It's fun. to If you sort of got hooks to hang that kind of stuff on, a lot of people don't have a clue about that. But if you've done any kind of metal work or any kind of mechanical work, then I, I think you'll, you'll find it interesting. Nice. All right. I'm going to jump in with a few picks as well. So lately, I've been listening mostly to, to Audible. Um, and so I've, I've got a few books uh, to throw out there. One thing that's really interesting that I did is I realized I had bought a whole bunch of books on Amazon and never listened to them. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that for every two or yeah, for every two hours I listened on Audible, I could I could listen to one podcast episode, except for the handful that I listen to every day. And so uh, yeah, I've really lis- uh, enjoyed listening to a bunch of these. And so I'm just going to throw out some of the picks. Um, I do have to say that I bought everything that was on Audible by Zig Ziglar, and I've listened to almost all of it at this point. So I'm, I'm just going to pick that because it's it's awesome stuff. And Zig 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 Ziglar, I know the name, but re- remind me what what he, he does again or what his so he area? speaks about. He passed away several years ago, but he speaks about selling. He also speaks about goals, oh. um, and then just living well. Okay. And so, yeah. Just, and now I'm curious to you, when you listen to these podcasts, are you doing, uh, do you sort of carve out time and just sit and listen or are you walking or exercising or how, what's your. So usually I'm like, working in the yard or I'm, yeah. you know, driving my kids around or gotcha. things like that. But yeah, just terrific stuff. There was one that I listened to recently that I really, really, really liked. And I'm just trying to find it because I can't remember what the title was. It was by Andy Andrews. It was The Traveler's Gift. Hmm. Superb book. I really, really enjoyed it. I also have to say that uh, I ran across a list of books that GQ said you shouldn't read and then gave you alternative books. And that kind of stuff ticks me off. Because (laughs) I feel like, you know, there are bad books out there. But don't tell people what not to read. You know, even if you're going to offer, you know, here's an alternative. And they put the Bible on, don't read this. And then they, they said, read something else in its place. And that took the alternative. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, what, what was the alternative? I don't remember. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just like, you know what? Some of these books are probably, you know, you know, generally read for a reason. Sure. Um, so another book that they had on their list of not to read was Goodbye to All That by Robert Graves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that one as well. But yeah, I, I've, and then Zig Ziglar also had another book that I'm going to recommend. It's Life Promises for Leaders, which I also enjoyed. I mean, I could, I could go on and on. Another one that I listened to recently is Overcoming the Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Pat, Patrick Lencioni. Mm. And that one was also really, really good. So anyway, I, I could keep going, but I'll save some of these for another podcast. Anyway, there, there's just so much good stuff out there. And, you do uh, like uh, Audible, though? I love it. Yeah, I, I've been tempted. I just started running. I've been doing. Uh, I've been going to the gym the last couple of years, just doing weights and those kind of things. I just started running again, so I was thinking that would be an opportunity to uh, listen while I ran. Um, so that's um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about. I think they've got a seven day trial or something like that. So I thought thought I'd. Yeah, um, I think we have an an affiliate where you can get one book for free if you go to devchat.tv/audible. No, oh, okay. Um, cool. Then you should be able to pick up a book for free and just try it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, they, they've got all kinds of stuff from all kinds of people. So um, if you're in business or in marketing or in development, they don't have a lot of development books just because it's hard to read code-related stuff. 
audibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of the rest of this is terrific stuff. Uh, the one I'm listening to right now is actually the Five Love langu- Languages of Children. And oh, so that, that's been helping. I read, I read the Five Love Languages, this marriage one. So yeah. I've heard he's he's got a couple of those five, five Love Languages. So he's got one for kids. So is that written for parents for to parents. learn about the kid? Okay, well, that may be one I'll check out. I, 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 I've got a three-year-old, so that may be, that may be one I, I should read. Yeah, it's changing the way that I identify with my kids a little bit, you know, the way that I talk to them. And now, is it geared toward age? Like, because mine's three, would I not get anything out of it necessarily? Should I wait? Or No, he has he has recommendations for, you know, younger kids. The, the love language is kind of, it's easier to identify what your kid's love language is once they're a little, you know, three or older. Mm-hmm. Uh, my youngest is two, so, but he just says, look, you know, if, if you've got a younger kid, just do all of these kinds of things. Right. You know, and so you do a little bit of, you know, touching a little bit of gifts and a little bit of quality time and a little bit. I can't remember all five, but that was three out of the five. I'm doing okay. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so so he has he has advice for, you know, that that age level. And it's just like, here here are things you can do. And then with with the older kids, it's here's how you figure out what your kids love language is and make sure that their love tank is full. Mm -hmm. And so I'm realizing like my six year old. I'm pretty sure that his is, or at least uh, one of the one of the dominant ones for him is uh, words of affirmation. Mm, okay. And so I've been trying really, really, really hard not to yell at him anymore, mm-hmm. right? And to tell him how much Positive I appreciate reinforcement. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, just stuff like that, you know. And I'm I'm very much in the camp of quality time. That's my love language, and so it's it's just not natural for me, right? to make sure that I'm saying nice things to my kids because you're spending time with them and doing all these quality things. Yeah, exactly. That should be the positive affirmation. You shouldn't have to say it. Yeah. And my wife's is acts of service. Okay. I guess I hit all five there, but okay, yeah. yeah, man, you got it. So, you know, the, for her, and I think for my 11 year old, that's kind of the way that they're wired, but for my other kids, they're not, and they're not either my wife's or my love language. And so we don't naturally express that way. Sure. You know, I mean, I kind of grew up in a household where, uh, you know, my dad was a big hugger and everything else. And so the kids, to the extent that they respond to physical touch, you know, with the hugging and tickling and things like that, you know, I think I do okay on naturally because that's the kind of relationship I had with my dad. But so that their tank is full when it comes to those. Yeah. Things, yeah. But I don't think any of them have that as a primary love language. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hit that as is appropriate. But, you know, that's that's not what's really going to fill them up so anyway really really love that book i'm almost done with it so i'm, I'm gonna check that one out i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because like i say my, myself my wife had read the the five love languages the, the first one he think he did but uh yeah I'll, I'll check the one out for kids yeah it did uh the first book the five love languages did change the way that i interact with my wife a bit yeah. and yeah it made me a little bit more conscious of like taking care of the dishes or doing the laundry or things like that or even sending her on a trip to South Car- or North Carolina to hang out with her best friend or, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, cause it's, it's doing things for her that shows her, you know, even though that's not natural for me either. So anyway, I've got to jump off and record a JavaScript jabber. So I'm going to wrap right. this up, but thanks for coming and talking to us. I'll encourage people to go check out your book. Yeah. And then to check out the, the website too. It's, it's still on Heroku. So it may take a, a couple seconds for to load but be 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 patient and the more folks who go to it maybe it'll stay up all, all the time and that'll be motivation for me to push it to a, a 
uh, of regular plat- platform and a live service. So yeah, there we go. If people want to follow you on Twitter or GitHub, or if you have a blog or anything like that, where's all that stuff? I'm at Mark Locklear. I'm I'm, I'm always quick on any whatever the the service is to get Mark Locklear. So M A R K L O C K L E A R, and I'm uh, let's see at Mark Locklear. Twitter, GitHub, Medium. I also do some writing on technology, but then I throw some politics and religion and stuff in there on Medium too. So I'm at Mark Locklear on Medium. Yeah, I post my politics and I piss people off, but that that's life, right? That means you're getting through. Well, the the ones that have been the best, people either love or or hate them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Joe, for listen, I want to say too, th- thank you. I mean, I don't know if you hear it enough, but you're a big part of why the Ruby and Rails community is as sort of close knit and open. You've been doing these uh, podcasts for a long time, whether it's the My Ruby Story or the Ruby Rogues. And so you're a big part of, of making what the Ruby and Rails community, uh, making it what it's been the last 10, 10 years. So thank you for your, your uh, time, efforts and service. Yeah, well, for anyone who feels that way, you're welcome. I mean, I do it because it makes a difference, mm-hmm. you know, and so if it makes a difference for you, I like hearing that. But yeah, I mean, I also do it because I like yeah. talking to folks. So yeah, but yeah, it's 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 been an interesting, uh, what, seven years since we it's, started? It's been the, uh, I mean, if it, well, you've been doing it since I've, I mean, I was just, I came along in 20, 2010s. So I don't know when you first started, but I, I guess you just started right right around that time or shortly yeah. a- after that. But basically, you know, Ruby Rails was the first podcast that I ever listened. Like I, I used to look at podcasts and those, and I said, man, that, those nerds who like listen to technology stuff, I would, <laughs> never do, I would never do do that when I got into Rails and I listened to my first uh, Ruby Rogues podcast. I was like, okay, I, I can, you know, I understand what, why people listen to, listen to, to these now. So. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm going to jump off because uh, JavaScript Java starts now. But yeah, yeah. I, it, I really hope it does matter to people and it makes a difference. Great. All right, man. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll talk to you later. All right. See you. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.